Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host. And once again, I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Once again, the Business Creators Radio Show is broadcasting to you from our sumptuous studio in our Las Vegas balcony. It's a little bit windy out here today, so you may hear the ruffling of pine needles and leaves in our evergreen trees. You may occasionally hear a car go by in the distance. Well, we do. This is a From the Field podcast. We take you to those places where you have some of those most life-changing conversations. You hear those most profound tidbits that give you the slight edge and move your business forward. Where do these things tend to happen? They happen at the networking session before the seminar. They happen at the coffee shop, the cigar shop, the outdoor cafe. They happen while you're driving, although we don't film these while we're driving. They happen at the park. They happen when you're sitting on your couch. We go where you go. And today, we are going to explore the five foundational pillars for a successful entrepreneur lifestyle. And to guide us on this journey, explain exactly what this means, we have with us somebody who I have been excited to have on this show for a long time, and I'm so glad we were finally able to get him. His name is Bob Schlegel. He is the author of a book called Angels and Entrepreneurs, a lifestyle formula for starting your own business and riding the roller coaster of entrepreneurship, where he will share the lessons learned from navigating the life of an entrepreneur. And let me tell you, having been an entrepreneur myself for well nigh 20 years at this point, it is a roller coaster. You enjoy the highs and you enjoy the dips. You come to cherish all of it. And no one ever said it was easy, but that doesn't mean it can't be fun. Bob Schlegel, come on in. The weather's fine. How are you doing, Adam? Fantastic. Now, you have a profound story that's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. It's such a great story that if I tell it myself, I would be revealing that I'm probably not worthy to be here and this is my show. So I'm just going to have you do it. Take it away. Great. Well, thank you, Adam. Hope you, I hope you trust me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, I was um, I'm from a, grew up in a small town, a small, fairly small farm uh, near a small town in Ontario, Canada. I was, grew up a farm boy. And um, growing up, uh, you know, pretty um, energetic, energetic and enthusiast, enthusiast kid, a little bit mischievous and ambitious in there. Um, I got in a lot of different circumstances growing up as a kid. When I was five, I broke my neck and uh, started my one-room schoolhouse in a, in a body cast. Uh, next year, I got attacked by a couple of Great Dane dogs and it about killed me. And the year after that, my house burned down and I tried to put it to fire. My brother dragged me out of the house. So just growing up, I went survived, survived a lot of things. So I always had, my mother always said I had a guardian angel. 
So the yeah. angel, the angel's been stuck staying with me pretty good. And at that point, I, uh, at that point, I really being a farm kid, my dad also had a service station, and I loved just working on the service station, pumping gas and changing tires and that kind of stuff. I really wanted to grow up to be a grease monkey. And uh, in Canada, you could after grade ten, you had a grade ten education, and then you apprenticeship to be a car mechanic. And I thought that was pretty cool. My dad had hired hired a mechanic, and he was paying about hundred bucks a week. And I thought, whoa, hundred bucks a week, I want that job. So I, I, my ambition then, when I was like 10 or 12, was to become a car mechanic. And I was ready to quit school after grade 10, and my mother wouldn't hear of it. She's like, still here saying, you're going to school, you little brat. So I yeah. just kept, kept on going through. I finished college, finished high school and went to college. And uh, during that time, growing up at the farm, the um, every once a year, this guy getting a good, good, good car and a good suit, he used to come visit my dad. And one year, one year I asked him, so what, what is it you do again? So I'm, the, I'm your dad's CPA. I come here and do your taxes and, and fill out your financial statements and that kind of thing. And I said, well, that might be a pretty cool thing to look into. So going to, going to uh, college then, uh, I got my CPA degree. And, and is that because of, basically because of his, his, his inspiration, reality, basically. So I thought um, after, the, after that, I... Um, I took my traditional college courses and one of the business courses, uh, the prof was saying, well, the way to become really successful and, and create wealth in this world is to become a Fortune 500 CEO. Uh, you know, and I was thinking about that for a while and then I said, well, gosh, there's only, there's only how, many, how many Fortune 500 CEOs are there? Well, there's only 500 of them, right? So my chances of doing that weren't very good. There were 360 people and 360 million people in North America. I didn't think I had too good a chance on that. So I got skipped, so I think that more and I really studied up, uh, look, started looking into more into entrepreneurship. Uh, so I started my own, worked for uh, KPMG, Pete Mark, uh, the accounting firm uh, for several years. I uh, got my, uh, sort of got my, my uh, Malcolm Gladwell's team, 10,000 hours of, of uh, training in the Malcolm, you know, the Mountain Gladwell, the, the outliers that he wrote. Um, yeah. So I think that's important after whatever much education you can get. And then you get another 10,000 hours of really experience, which in the accounting world is like, what, two or three years, because you get 10,000 hours in pretty fast uh, with all the overtime. But in any case, I, I did that for eight years accounting in the accounting business, and we started looking around for different opportunities. And my wife and I, my wife's a nurse, and we decided to uh, we wanted to get get to more of a Sun Belt area. We, we weren't crazy about the Canadian winters. We really looked at uh, we looked at Florida, California, Arizona, you know, Texas, and we found, found finally found a place in Texas. So we um, we borrowed all the money we could up there, um, invested it down here, sold our house. And invested in uh, a place in Dallas, a nursery retirement center, and uh, and we uh, went back and forth for, for six years. We drove back and forth in a Chevy van with the dog and the nanny and the grandmas. Um, make it. We headed down a 22-hour trip from Toronto to Dallas. Was uh, go to go to Nashville and turn right, and you. So 22 and a half hours later, uh, we're in uh, we're in Dallas. And we did it every other weekend. We used to go back and forth, and kept our jobs up there, and rented an apartment down here, and started that business. And a few months later, we started another company called Pavestone with a friend of mine, um, manufactured interlocking concrete paving stones, which are real popular now. Uh, 40 years ago, when we started it in 1980, it was uh, less so. So we uh, we built that company. Yep. And uh, it took us 14 years to get to 10 to 10 million dollars that company. So it's really um, a lot of hard work and you know perseverance. And um, we, we grew it. After that 14 years, we were 10 million dollars. We just started making. It took that long almost to break it to make money, but by ten million dollars, we were both breaking even um, and cash flowing pretty good and covering the bank loans and that sort of thing. 
And uh, they kept on growing that. Five, five years later, we we're at $100 million. So it took us 14 years to get to 10 million, another five years to get to 100 million. And after that, we grew about 100 million every three years. So about uh, 27 years later, something like that, we were making about $400 million in sales. And, and have very nice little company we had making $60 million in EBITDA. And we had it sold, we got an offer to sell it for 540 million, which is to a public company. So it was advertised in the Wall Street Journal uh, that we had a company sold for $540 million, which was uh, you know really, really good for us. We were very excited. Uh, went, to went to closing uh, uh, March 11th, my wife's birthday, March 11th, 2008, just before the recession you know, just, was just starting. And we uh, went to the closing table and at closing day, we were sitting around, the, sitting around the lawyer's office waiting for the wire to hit. We got a call from the Federal Trade Commission. And they said, uh, we'd like to investigate this. He could be, um, for the heart of Scott Rodino, the competitive uh, anti antitrust, uh, could, we could affect the prices of concrete products, which we thought was goofy right. and our lawyers thought was goofy. In any case, the Federal Trade Commission uh, wanted 30 more days to investigate it. So that was fine. Uh, we waited 30 more days and they came back and said, we need another 30 more days. And then they came back after that and said, we need another, uh, we're going to do a, a second uh, inquiry, second investigation. And go, so went, they went through all our emails, all our, everything they could possibly find. And uh, a year later, basically in January of, of 09, which if you recall, the recession hit in, in the fall of 08. Oh, um, I remember. Yeah, you might remember that one. And by the meantime, our sales were dropping, uh, we're, our sales were dropping about 10%. A year, uh, which was pretty good because a lot of people's building building product companies were dropping seventy or eighty percent a year. So we, we thought we could we could survive that. We struggled along, but then in in January in March, yeah, January of '09, they come back and said, "No, we we can't allow the sale to go through because you could be anti-competitive to um, raising prices against um, the big boxes." There's there's about a thousand factories in America making concrete products, but we had um, ten of them, and their guys buying us had another ten. So between the two of us, it was kind of a badge of honor, I guess. We had 95% of the big box uh, product market. So in any case, they killed the deal. Um, so then we're at, now we're at the bottom of the roller coaster. At the time, I didn't realize we were going to be on a roller coaster. But looking back on it, uh -huh. after we wrote the book, the, my editor said, <laughs> that was a roller coaster you were on. I guess if you look back at it, gosh, it's, there was. So we're at the bottom. We're just, we're just we're hoping, we're hoping that the next roller coaster was a hill, you know, so we could get, get out of there. So we struggled through that, took on the partner and all kinds of um, you know, good and bad things happened after that, but the recession just just was nasty for us. We finally sold the company uh, four years later for about uh, thirty percent less. But it was a it was a good lesson on leverage and all kinds of that that good stuff. So anyway, so so we're so we're sitting there. We got rid of that um, nicely and, and made a little bit of money, not near what we thought we we should have, and that we did the first time. But we survived it. Uh, so that was our our story of survival. So then, then we come up after that. We started our uh, our five pillars, which you talked about earlier. Are uh, you ready for that? Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Big times, big money style. Uh, okay. So the five pillars were basically it's a pep. I call it my pep theory. P E P. If I spelled it, it's the five to get the five. It's, there's a bunch of P's and a bunch of E's. Uh, if I spelled it out, actually, it would be called P P. But I think pep seemed like a better <laughs> marketing, better marketing opportunity. Right. Even though I flunk marketing. So it's called PEP. Basically, stands for uh, the, the, big, the big. The first P is for persistence. Um, I, as I learned in the concrete company, the ups and downs. You, you have to keep. You can't give up. You can never give up. You have to um, you know, try to get. Try it. Fix it. Try it. Fix it. 
and it's just to uh, keep a learning experience. Uh, you know, new companies, as you know, starting a new company, the success rate of new companies is not very good. It's less than fifty percent, I think. So it's um, it's a, it's always a grind and failed. Most most people fail the first time around, and I failed everything I've done first time around. Pretty much, I after I broke my ninth grade one, I did not do very good in grade, my grade school. I f- and after that, I failed grade nine. I failed my first year of college. But you have to just keep uh, fail stands for the acronym fail. F A I L stands for first attempt at learning. Yes, in my experience at least. So you have to just every failure is a learning experience. And you have to keep going on and on and on. That's the first P then is persistence. The next one is education. Without my uh, mother's insistence on you know, finishing high school and going to college, um, I couldn't have done what, what I've done. Um, got my CPA degree and that just everything just came together after that. But it opens doors and it gives you um, access to so much, so much more, more things. Uh, a friend of mine used to say the, uh, the greatest asset you have is your health and don't do anything to jeopardize it. But the, sec- the greatest thing you can acquire is an education because no one can take it away from you. During the period where you were struggling with Pavestone and the, um, and the success of, you know, with our banks and arguing with our banks, we never, we never broke a, never missed a payment. We had enough cash flow, but we broke all our bank covenants. So when you, when that happens, all your, uh, they can basically call all your loans, which they did. Yep. Um, so we sat around those nasty big old tables with 20, you know, 20 lawyers from banks and, one lawyer of ours, and we're saying, you know, we're, we need to collect this money. How are you going to pay us? So there's going through some pretty ugly periods in that in that area, but we uh, learned from them and and never gave up. The next um, the next so it's a persistence education. The next E is entrepreneurship. Now, it isn't a job; it's, it's a lifestyle. Um, and like I said, it wasn't supposed to be a roller coaster, but it just turned out in our in our circumstances, it certainly was. And we just fought through that. But the lifestyle of entrepreneurship, it's, it's fun and it's fun. You get to create your own uh, company. Um, and we really, during, during, the, during the Pavestone years, we had, a, we had 15, 16 plant, concrete plants across the country. And it took my their big, uh, you know, big old concrete plants with uh, batch plants and cement mixers and big uh, German uh, presses that, that stamp out the concrete. I took my, my, one of my young daughters over there and showed her our plant one day and at dinner table that night, she came back and she announced to the family, says, that is these really nice, really cool plants. You put dirt and sand and water in one side and money comes out the other. This is, so in the eyes of a, eyes of a five-year-old, that's, that was her first uh, shot at entrepreneurship. So we grew up with that. The next one, the next P after, so it's persistence, education, entrepreneurship, and passion. Um, it's a passion. You got to you got to love what you do, right? And and um, if if you love what you do, it's you never you never work another day in your life. You need a vision. You need your um. It, it creates with a purpose. Passion creates a purpose and a vision. Without a vision, you know, you, you, it's pretty difficult to get up in the morning. So you get with the combined with the, the passion, and the vision, and the purpose, and never working another day in your life. It gives you. Gives you a purpose in the morning. The reason you got to jump out of bed in the morning and and head to the office, you know, and really get because it's it's a fun. You have more fun than than a, than a burden on most days. So that's how that's how we grew that one. And the next the next the next the next P is partnerships. Um, all stakeholders in your company, your lenders, your investors, your customers, your suppliers. It's really a win win. You have everybody has to be a win win. It's not like entrepreneurship. It's not like sports. So it doesn't have to be a loser. You can all be, um, you can have, everybody can win. Your customer has to win. You have to win. Your suppliers have to win. 
So there's a little bit of, you have to make sure that and and that's how it works. You know, what does a man what what does a man profit if it if, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and for forfeit his soul as the as the scripture says in Mark. So it said that's great. We we our philosophy has always worked with a win win sort of every every transaction every uh, every customer every bank loan everything we did uh, we really worked to make sure that was that was part of our goal. So that's it. Wow. That's quick version. That's quick version. I love it. And you know, sometimes what I love about the Business Creators Radio Show, particularly when we get people as brilliant and passionate as you, is I can basically just sit back and let you do it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but I but I love your very detailed story, and I noticed how some of your transformations and some of your discoveries happened either coincidentally with or as a result or in flow with the Great Recession of 2008. Now, we're, at least at the time of this recording, I don't know whether you want to call it um, inflation, recession, stagflation. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's not good. Uh, and just a couple of years ago, we had this other thing where you had this bug that was going around. They declared it a pandemic. And I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but let's just say that we have been paying the price and ripple effects for how that was managed. And I actually used to say that with air quotes for years now, and I don't see it stopping anytime soon. So I want to zero in a little bit more on that. And this is a few things I jotted down. And also I remember a couple of things you mentioned in the green room, but you're hoping we have time to cover. So what advice do you have for people to weather those ups and downs of creating, building, and owning your own business, including being blindsided by a global pandemic. I mean, who saw that coming unless you were reading the sub headlines on page 32 for three months? Uh, you're right, right. Well, the worst thing, the bad, we got, we got trained by the Great Recession, you know, 10, 12 years earlier. Um, and that was, that was very bad. Uh, the Great Recession, but the, nobody, the, the pandemic, nobody could plan that. You can't blame it on anybody. But if you were, lever- if you were over leveraged, the lesson is, like the Great Recession, if you're over, over leveraged, you're going to get get hurt. You know, if you're um, if you have too much money borrowed and your cash flow is running along, even even from uh, 08 to um, once you got the, once you got our cash under control, uh, the next four or eight years were were manageable, and have been profits were there. You cover your you could make your loan payments, but then the Great Recession, if you hadn't planned on that, if you just borrowed a, a new new loan or had trouble on the break even line. Uh, and but you know, great companies like Hertz went bankrupt. Uh, their lines almost did. So and even so, small companies, of course, without the um, without the PPP loans, uh, salvage you know saved a whole lot of companies and just kept so they keep their heads above water and get and survive the recession. I think part of that, just in my personal opinion, comes from having two skills, which to me, you can read all the books and attend all the webinars about this stuff you want. But until you've lived through one or two, you're not going to really understand it viscerally and develop your own set of skills that are in alignment with your truth, your abilities, and your brilliance and passion. Just dealing with these recessions and things that come at you from, from left field, A, multiple streams of income and diversification, and B, the ability to pivot. And I, and I think A and B, it doesn't mean one is more important than the other. I actually would say A and also A. I figured out when the pandemic was declared as such that I had an opportunity to create a new paradigm for podcasting. 
And so that's what I did. I developed the podcast reach system while I was essentially in prison in my home with a, a large supply of premium cigars and my office supervisors had many, many, many stacks of gourmet cat food. Uh, we kind of hung out here for a little bit. Um, I also discovered the joys of having the Dollar Shave Club guy as my barber. Oh, five pounds lighter, <laughs> 10 degrees cooler. So what I also want you to pick up is that I'm really only mentioning positives. That's, yeah, it sucked. And I made comments about five minutes ago. Uh, that pretty much tipped my hand that I believe the whole thing was horribly mismanaged uh, to the level of criminality and innocent people have suffered as a result of it. At the same time, you sometimes have to look around to you and say, well, what can I really control? All right. You can't control what's going to, what word salad's going to come out of the president's mouth. And uh, that's probably going to be a statement that uh, holds up over the test of time, no matter who's president, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, But what you can control is how you develop streams of income, how you pivot, and how you find your advantage in whatever situation is presented to you. Exactly. When when that March 2020 came around and we... um... We heard they're shutting down the economy, shutting down countries and the whole system of economics. Uh, that was a very scary period, as, as you mentioned. We, we had a company, we had a, we had a truck, we have a freight brokerage company. We had kept out of the concrete company that we sold. So thank goodness we had that. That was an essential, rated essential service. So we never really shut it down and had to uh, you know, keep, keep the, the supply chain open and, and running. Uh, and we worked as hard as we could at that. We actually hired people. Um, and grew it through that through that period, but it's it was it was it was quite a um, difference when you're, you get lucky. If you were unlucky, man, it was awful. And if you're lucky, you just hung on and survived by your fingernails. But it was uh, crazy times. You're right. I think it changed some things permanently. In other episodes of the show, we've discussed how I believe it's impacted workplace culture and ways to a certain degree are going to be very positive. From the very beginning of me being out in the world out of college, I recognized that cubicle farms are essentially where great companies go to die. That's right. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to back off from that. Mm-hmm. I understand that certain types of industries and certain types of work do require people to physically show up somewhere and be there from this time of day to that time of day. These are manufacturing. These are in-person service industries. These are public services. And yeah, absolutely, you do, you do need that. At the same time, the industrial revolution model was, from the start, inappropriately applied to knowledge workers, creatives, people in offices, and they were put into this box. I've seen studies done on this that show that if you worked in an office and were commuting to and from home every day, you're... If you took whatever salary or wages you got and you figured out the hourly value of that for the year, it was reducing your real-time hourly rate by at least $2 an hour. Sure, I would have said you would guess more than that. that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. That's really where companies come uh, like Zoom and DocuSign and just the best thing could have happened to them. It created a whole new industry. You know, the biggest regret I have in life... Um, 
aside from the fact that uh, I could have got an entire Bitcoin for about the price of a suit, and I thought it was stupid. I mean, I, I mean, I'd be, I'd be living off fuck you money at this point if I had uh, just uh, had a little bit of faith. But you know what? Things happen. I, it's one of those things you cannot look back on and regret it. You just build the awareness that other opportunities may come around, and three hundred bucks might be worth thrown at it just to see what happens. And I've done that and i've had some mixed results i've had some wins i've had some losses that's how it goes uh hindsight man i should have bought zoom <laughs> i mean i should have bought zoom stock uh-huh. yeah i mean we're to the point where zoom has become so prevalent that there's actually an entire field of study about why people are zoomed out that's Thank how far you. we've come in you can throw microsoft teams and facetime and uh google meets and some of the other video conferencing apps in there as well sure but yeah the thing the, the thing is is uh in february of 2020 would you have guessed that zoom of all companies would all of a sudden become a big stock market winner that's phenomenal it's been amazing to me, it was just one of like three different things I had because yeah. somebody else used them and I had to play along because sometimes you got it when you're in somebody else's field, you got to carry the ball they give you. Exactly. So, who would have guessed uh, Hertz would go bankrupt? You know, it's, it's un- unheard of. Yeah. I, hey, I, I remember Blockbuster. That's right. I'm just <laughs> old enough for that. I, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of things. I, <laughs> well, you are I, old. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember getting excited over a Blackberry. Exactly. We're from Canada. I was home. I grew up at home of the Blackberry War in New Canada. And um, yeah, they were just couldn't figure out the apps. Just, but they were they were bigger than before Apple even making was making telephones. It's crazy. Yeah, I remember when uh Microsoft held the funeral for the iPhone. I remember when we were yeah. told that the Android was gonna actually be discontinued. Yeah. I remember hearing rumors about that. I remember back in the days when people thought that Internet Explorer 6 was an actual browser. Yeah. I've been around for a few things. <laughs> I was and I, I was back in the day where it seemed like there was a race to see how small you could possibly manufacture a cell phone. That's right. Uh-huh. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, you, and, you and I are getting to be of a certain age where we remember some of these things that have come and gone. I got a few years on you, but I remember our first computer was at Radio Shack TRS-80. If you remember that one? Before, as a, um, as a matter of fact, I do. My first computer was a Commodore VIC 20, and my go. first desktop in the modern sense was a 1993 leading edge running Windows 3.1. Yeah. You're a state of the art guy, then, Adam. I, you know, I remember when I used to log in and out of my AOL account just to see if logging in and out would cause me to get a new email. <laughs> well, the dial in, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that. You had to memorize all those phone numbers, too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So now let's get into competition a little bit. Um, and you want to me to ask you a question about how you can get familiar with your big competitors on the keep your friends close and your enemies closer theory and that they you may want to buy them someday or vice versa. And before I turn you loose on that, I just want to give one example. And this is a friend of mine. He created a line of frozen food that was... It had something to do with frozen pizza. I can't remember exactly what it was. And it had to do with like a a mountain man diet or something along those lines. And from the moment he started that company, he created with the vision that it would eventually be bought out by one of the major frozen food companies. So among his research was he found out everything that his prospective future buyers were using as far as technology. 
What ACH processing did they use? What manufacturing processes did they use? What machines did they use in their factories? Uh, when it came to packaging, what companies did they order the boxes from? What companies did they order the plastic lining from? The dry ice. Because he was creating something where a future buyer could look at it and say, hey, they use all our stuff already. This is an e- This will be an easy integration. Let's snap it up. Exactly. It's called a platform. Was there, most of my companies, uh, like big companies we saw, were turned into platforms that uh, somebody else could acquire and keep adding to it with their new capital and really create a, um, a whole new venture for them. And you, you, you've spent the hard work to 10, 14 years to get $10 million or you know, 20 years to get to $100 million. Um, but you spent that, bigger companies would like to buy them because they can save. They don't have the 20 years to invest in growing it. But once they take you over, they can, um, you know, multiple grow it exponentially and really get it started. So just creating a platform like that with that in mind is a, is a great tool. I couldn't agree more. And to me, it simplifies things to a certain degree because rather than find a way to reinvent the wheel, you just figure out what wheel is currently being used and what spokes are being used. There's something to be said for, uh, and this is a phrase I've been saying for a long time. I don't have to be original to be good. Right. That's right. And I, I also, I also remember a scene from a TV show and it actually inspired my quote, uh, where a guy said, I've been accused of a lot of wrong in my life. Or, or actually I've been accused of a lot of things in my life. Originality isn't one of them. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We don't have to be smarter than your competition. Just, just work harder and it's more persistent. Yeah. Now, Bob, I know you have websites, for example, bobschlegelauthor.com, which we'll discuss for a moment at the end where people can get that awesome book of yours. But there's something that I think you have in your business right now that you have been thinking has been helping you. But I'm going to tell you right now that if you have this, you neither need it nor want it and need to get rid of it. You know what that is? Help me. Traffic to your website. Get rid of it. Oh, good. Really? <laughs> and, and that people hear me say that. It's like, what? Did he just say the earth is flat? Well, no. The, no, the earth is actually kind of an oval. It's not round. It's, it's not flat. It's kind of an oval. But anyway, everybody out there is talking about traffic to your website. I'm going to get your traffic to your website. Traffic to your website. Ah, gag me with a freaking spoon. <laughs> So what is traffic? To me, traffic is why working from home is so great. When I think of traffic, I think of 100,000 vehicles cramming onto an expressway, and I put that in air quotes, that was designed to handle 10,000 vehicles per hour. I think of congestion. I think of useless detours. I think of hours of your life just frittering away. And when I think of website, what do we mean when we say website? Is that a homepage, an about page, a podcast episode page, webinar page, sales page, contact page, privacy policy page, products page? Website can be all of those things and more. And each of those things can be a website. So traffic to your website. I urge people to attract visitors to their web pages who conform with the three P's of website conversions, pre-qualified, prepped, and pumped. Now, what did I just do there? Created the market. Bingo. 
Mm-hmm. And I did that by simply renaming it. It's Good the point. same thing. I just use different terminology. Sure. So as I heard Alan Weiss say once, if you want to become number one in a new market, just step over to the side and call it something else. I'm paraphrasing him, but that was the gist of it. Uh-huh. I have four, I have four daughters, Adam, three, four, three daughters <laughs> and three, all three daughters make a pretty good living now off, off their website. And as they're selling, they're all, they're all involved in fashion and, um, and dec- decor, home decorating one of them. And they all um, have nice little businesses uh, that they sell uh, through a system called reward, reward style, or I'd like to know it, that allows people to, um, to buy things from their, off their website that connect to different retailers. Yep. And, they get, and they get commissions on it. And there's, there's a lot, like, lot of, a lot of ladies out there making a lot of money um, in influence, being influence, influencers. You know, they're, all, they're all three influencers yeah. uh, and they get, they paid, get very handsomely and uh, sell a lot of product and really create a whole new marketplace and distribution for these big, uh, for the big manufacturers and retailers of uh, clothing stores. Right. Right. And candidly, um, there's nothing new under the sun with what your daughters are doing. What makes what they're doing special is your daughters being who they are. You hear that people invest in people whom, with whom they have no like and trust. I take that one step further and say all things being equal, people invest in people. What your daughters sell, somebody could get either the same as or similar to from many different places. But I would hazard a guess if your daughters were to do surveys that they would find out that it was what is radiant, attractive, brilliant, and passionate about their own personalities and personas is what brings in a lot of their customers. Sure, but that's why and, 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 that, and, that, and that sight unseen and me not even having known until 30 seconds ago that your daughters were influencers. Yeah, you're pretty good at that, Adam. Yeah. But they're, in, they're yeah, they're called influencers and that's, that's, that's what they do. And they're pretty good at it. So you're right. Yeah. So this brings me to another question that I'm really curious about based on some of your work, Bob, is should you build your first business or buy your first business? It's really, um, that's a good question. It's really a matter of, um, first of all, you have to have your customers. So if, you can get, if you can get customers, um, and you, most important thing in the world of business, business, building a business course is customers. If you can get customers uh, through your uh, reputation or um, your experience or your connections, then um, it's way cheaper to build, to build, to start a business than it is to buy one. Right. Uh, but it's really about um, if you have your capital um, that, that you're better off to buy and save, you can save 10 or 14 or 20 or 30 years of startup, you know, experience and costs. And really if you buy a company, it usually has customers and products and suppliers or manufacturers, and you can go in and make money your first day. If you're doing a skunk work, starting your garage, like uh, Steve Jobs or, Michael uh, or uh, Bill Gates or um, as you know, all the famous guys we've known have started in the garages. Uh, that's great. Um, but it does take longer and takes more cash and you, you, you try it and fail it and you can easy, easy, you know, lose everything in your first couple months. Um, but it's really your, it's really your, your, your access to capital. If you can raise capital, like yeah. Steve Jobs and, and Bill Gates had to raise capital, go public. Uh, if you can do that, um, that's that's a great great route as well, and then then we, we know the great entrepreneurs of of the social media that made billions of dollars, 
through uh, rate going, and you know doing IPOs. But it's, you have to have a pretty good customer base and product line and you know market stick to really get that figured out. Yeah, you certainly do. And I would, and I would uh, add that you know if you want to buy a business, actually, instead of adding, let me ask. So I'm going to make a shift here, make a pivot. If you buy a business, does that business have to be perfect? No, it usually isn't. But you have to do some due diligence to make sure it's not it's not going to run out of cash on your first day. You don't want to run out of money ever. So you have right. to make sure your cash flows and things like that are good. I work in a system, Adam, where um, I call it the BHAGs, a big, hairy, audacious goal. You set your yep. big, hairy, audacious goal, and then you plan your get with your spreadsheet or whatever tools you got. You plan how to how to reach it and how and you put a time period in there. I always set my goals pretty high, uh, and I usually hit them, but, but I never hit them when I when I think I'm going to hit them. I'll set a three or four year goal, and it may take me five or ten years to hit it, but um, but I've been hitting them after. You just keep if you never give up and keep working on it. Set your KP the system called KPI key performance indicators. So you, you tune your KPIs, your key performance indicators to your to your BHAG, your big hairy audacious goal. And on a day, that's going to be on a short term, on a daily basis, or monthly basis, or weekly, or annual basis. You hit your KPIs. If they're in tune with your with your BHAGs, uh, sooner or later you're going to hit the BHAG. If you can manage the cash flow between between startup and and um, you know, when you when you start generating nice cash flows, but in the meantime you have to you know, do what you have to do. Work with your suppliers, uh, customers to to manage your cash flow. Cash flow is the most important thing after your customers are happy. Uh, and without cash flow, and cash flow is different from profit. Uh, you have to make a profit eventually, but in short term, you just have to have the cash flow to to fight another day. I'm going to put out there that I believe there are people who are reluctant to even consider that their business may be a saleable asset because it doesn't bring in the profit margin that they dream of, or that it might actually be more or less a solopreneurial thing, even if it has a virtual team, even if it has a collaborative of people who make it work, it's it's driven off the personality of the founder or the owner. Now, I would ask one counter question to that. Has anybody out there, anybody, anybody who's listening, whether it's now or 10 years from now, ever themselves or somebody to know have you ever bought a house that's a fixer-upper or a car that's a fixer-upper? Of course, everybody's doing that. And there are a couple of reasons why you may buy a fixer-upper, whether it's a house or a car. Let's just use those two examples. One could be that you just don't have a lot of money right now, so you need the basics and you'll improve it later. The other could be is you have your own vision from it from the very beginning. So cool if it's already... A little bit shambolized because you're going to tear it down anyway. Sure. Also, in business, there's lots of businesses like that. My wife's a nurse, and we used to buy fixer upper nursing retirement centers that needed um, they needed good, good buildings, but they weren't cash flowing, or some of them were cash flowing, but they weren't doing very good. Their customers weren't happy. Their relatives were not um, happy with the way things were going. So, fixer upper is a good way to save money and start start with a low budget. They'll take one over. Often, if somebody's in trouble, they'll give you a good deal on uh, to lease it or rent it or no down payment purchase or things like that to get get your foot in the door, so you can get in there and and really um, use your use your um, your education and your experience. Your Malcolm Gladwell's ten thousand hours and and show them how good you can be and 
keep those customers happy. When your customers are happy, you're gonna yeah. your business is gonna grow. I thought my business had no resale value. I had it evaluated, and I'm told that I could probably get between twenty and twenty five thousand dollars for it as is. Sure. Why? Because it has websites, it has infrastructure, and it has documented processes. Exactly. Those are those are three things that can be turnkey that somebody could be delighted to take over. Like, let's say I were to sell my business either of choice or maybe I or maybe I pass on and the business gets sold. Somebody could come in and say, you know, I like this business. I could take it over for myself. They could take over my websites, replace all my pictures and mentions of my name with their pictures in their name, uh, add a page to those websites commemorating the founder, and they could even take my books and republish them under their own names as their own interpretations, not dissimilar from how so many people that you and I both probably know have published, or and I put this in air quotes, published their own version of Think and Grow Rich by adding their own chapter with their own interpretation of what it means. Sure. And I, like I and I and I was in, I was advised that this is actually completely legit, that somebody out there could potentially want to purchase Groundhog Day as an event, not a business strategy. Uh add themselves as a co-author and add a chapter to it where they add their own interpretations to what I said. Exactly. You'd sell, sell your infrastructure and, you, and save somebody years of startup costs. It, it would, it would toss, take them and cost them to develop it. And most businesses right. call it a multiple of EBITDA, but if you don't have an EBITDA, you can also always justify value for what you've got and, and the replacement cost of what you got. Just, a, sir, just for our audience's understanding, what's an EBITDA? EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, and depreciation. Yeah. So it's um, and that's what big that's what most companies sell for. If it's a multiple of six to six to 10, 20 times EBITDA. Um, so if you're making a million dollars, you can probably sell it for depending on the industry and and the uh, surety and the confidence that people have for, for six times that or ten times that or twenty times that or a hundred times that in like they do in the in the um, in startup internet uh, internet companies and and um, and mass, mass, the mass media companies like Facebook, and they're selling for thousands of times times earnings. Yeah, precisely. So you know, earlier we covered your five final foundational pillars, uh, very important. And we've also gotten to some specific mechanics of business growth, entrepreneurship, business creation, etc. And I believe that like every building needs a foundation, all of this stuff needs some sort of foundation. And this is where we get into Mission, vision, and values. Oh, those three statements. Now, you mentioned to me briefly in the green room before we got started here, and I said I'd put this in if there's time, and thank goodness there is. Uh, you wanted to share with us a bit why it's important in the very beginning to, de- to define your values and principles as a business leader. So that's kind of open-ended, but close the loop for us. I, th- I think you have to... Um... Really write down your write down your mission and your vision uh, to see you know and part of the BHAG is part of that the big hairy dishes goal is part of that because you have to decide what your what's your end game you know how long do you want to stay in this do you want to build something for your kids or your state or you want to get out in five years and get in a sailboat so it's, you have to you know, write all those things down and it's it's important to what and what kind of industry what kind of business you want want to be what what do you want to be known for. You want to make sure your customers, if your customers aren't going to be happy, you're not going to be business very long. So you have to uh, make sure your customers are happy, whether you're a car dealer or a, or a, 
or a suit maker of, of shoe or shoe polisher, shoe shiner. If your customers aren't happy, you're not going to be successful. So that that's what really makes America work. And the uh, Adam Smith's free hand and uh, Sam, you know, Sam Walton used to say that um, the customers could vote, vote with their wallet every every time they buy something. Right. If they're, not, if they're not voting for your company, you're not going to be in business. You're going to be there there very long. Another thing is, I think uh, Adam is a big, big gratitude. People take gratitude uh, too much for uh, for granted. Um, if you're successful, it's it's important that you give back, and uh, too much is given, you know, much is expected. So it's important to give back and show your gratitude for um, for different nonprofits and charities and education schools and that sort of thing. Um, we always like to support a lot of educational things. So believe a rising tide raises all ships. Yep. My mother made me go to school after, after during high school. You know, I'd still be working on a farm probably somewhere. So it's important that um, um, we raise have we raise the rising tide for for others, so we can create a lot more entrepreneurs. Yeah. Well, when we speak about the the values, for example, it's interesting you mentioned Sam Walton because I was thinking about him as you first mentioned this, this thing about mission, vision, values, there's a story about him. Now we've all heard that Sam Walton, even when he was worth millions and millions of dollars, still drove that old pickup truck. We've heard that. Now we've also heard, uh, or at least I've heard that there was a time when he went into one of his own stores and attempted to go into the back and was stopped by an employee who wanted to see his badge. Now, in some companies, you can imagine uh, some pompous ass person with a title running to some other pompous ass with a bigger title saying, can you believe they have the freaking nerve to ask me for a badge? I would have fired. <laughs> what did Sam Walton do? He apologized, went to his truck, got his badge and brought it back. And then he congratulated the employee on holding the line on their policies because not letting people who weren't supposed to go into the back into the back was critical to the security and the protection of the establishments. Right. I'll also, I'll also mention that according to the version of the story I read from the very beginning, that employee knew that they were dealing with Sam Walton, but they (laughs) just didn't care. You didn't get back there without your badge period. Mm. Absolutely. That's great. Another, another thing that I found um, Adam, is, is uh, something called get over it. GOI, we call it my family for, for kids and, and for it's a life and in business. If um, you know, bad things happen all the time. And if you, um, if you see, see a family member or a customer or some treats you badly or something, um, you know, revenge is stupid. Just have to get over it, you know, get on with your life and put, put that stuff behind you. If your business, a lot of business fail, uh, treat it, treat your bad experience as a learning experience, uh, get over it and get up and get back to work, you know, work, keep striving for your goal. Yeah. Well, vengeance will never get you even. However, going through those experiences will make you stronger. Uh, you know, why you, you remember when we were young and I'm, I'm not sure if this is the case with you, but would you say it's a fair statement that things that you now, that now wouldn't even make you blank 
used to be deal stoppers from you when you were young, that uh, you sweat the small stuff, that you would sometimes have very strong reactions to things and people would say, oh, come, come on, come on. That's not, that's not such a big deal, Bob. Don't worry about that. Why, why, are you, why are you getting all worked up? Does that sound familiar? Absolutely. We all went through that in grade school and high school and uh-huh. everything else in life. Uh, and somebody did that. Yeah. And, and you know, and you know how you get good at it by going through it. So one of the great lessons, and I actually somewhere wrote down uh, a set of lessons from the year 2021, which was very transformational for me, is that your journey is your journey and your experience is your experience. So when you have these things that go wrong, yeah, you can say, well, just brush it off. And I say, if you're having the feelings about it, have the feelings about it for two reasons. Number one, when you burn through it yourself, you'll learn your lesson that you were intended to learn. And that will give you your skills to master it when, in many cases, it inevitably happens again. The other is the other is learning how to burn through it gives you skills on how to burn through faster. For sure. Absolutely. Because, yeah. because you know that the breakdown comes right before the breakthrough. So you can even go into it with the awareness that, oh, okay, there's a breakthrough. It's right around the corner here. How do I get there faster? Right. What, what, and, and, and you may be, even uh, 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 you're thinking, okay, there's a lesson here. There's an opportunity right in front of you. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And you develop those skills that help you identify it faster. Sure. My, my solution, Adam, I like to think of, of surrounding myself with angels. You'll get people that are that will help you, you know, your wife, your, your family, your friends, um, just even other business people. I used to get there with, in back in, in my day, I used to get to in Dubbing in Dallas, I used to get to meet with Norm Brinker, Ross Perot, Harold Simmons, some of the very successful guys in town would spend time with, with, with me, just a lowly, uh, you know, accountant. Um, yeah. and just, to, just to give advice. Like, a lot of people like that were angels in my life. Um, sometimes the angel is not, not certainly the person that appears that can help you. Um, and thank, and be grateful for the good things you have, and, and surround yourself with angels. And it's it sort of works works for me very well. A lot of when I, when I was in trouble with the banks and that sort of thing, a lot of friends came through, and just um, you know make sure we don't make help with the get over it theory. Uh, no point in doing that. There's always a there's always a nuclear option, you know, where you start start suing people and and not, nobody wins in that. So right. there's um, just just getting over things and uh, working with your angels, and uh, thank. Sometimes you have to thank God for unanswered prayers. You know, the power of prayer and the power. Oh of, yeah, <laughs> the power of prayer and the power of positive thinking uh, can really um, can help you as well. The, the, really, the power of Norman Norman Vincent Peale when he wrote the the power of positive thinking, I did it under the, with the. Um, the scripture, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthened me, which that's, that, that's a lot like, that's a lot of angels, you know, working for you. So I think that having that part, the positive attitude and the power of prayer, uh, you can accomplish a lot of things and then help you, help you with the GOI, the get over it part of that. Right. Well, uh, you know, they ha- you know how they say God answers all prayers? Yes, sir. Thanks. Well, sometimes the answer is no, and sometimes the answer is screw you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and 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 uh, and and if that offends somebody's sensibilities, I too bad because that is the way that is the way it works sometimes. Yeah, and well and said, and, yeah. and if God and if you ask God for something and God says screw you, then that's actually God helping you. Exactly. It's how it's how you look at that because 
Others are going to tell others are going to tell you the same thing. And the more you develop that resilience, the better off you'll be in the short and long term, even the intermediate term. If you want to be really technical about it. So as we wrap up here, we are just about the top of the hour here. You have a great book. It's called Angels and Entrepreneurs: A Lifestyle Formula for Starting Your Own Business and Riding the Roller Coaster of Entrepreneurship. I think I might be snagging me a copy of that pretty soon. Uh, and I know that you can find it at bobschlegelauthor.com. That's bobschlegelauthor.com. Visit the post on businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find the link to that. And I also would just simply ask one more question as we wrap up. If there's anybody out there who's finding themselves leaning in, wanting to discover more about your unique areas of expertise, which you know, just for information include logistics, property development, financial analysis, strategic planning, private equity. How do they yeah, how do they get started with that and what do they have to look forward to? I, I, there's all kinds of Google. Everybody can find everything on Google these days, right? You want to follow yeah. what competition is doing, just Google them. Um, so there's uh, nothing secret anymore. I said, just keep working at it and never give up. And follow, my website is by, you know, Bob Schlegel at author, bobschlegelauthor.com. Um, also, the book's available on Amazon um, and Barnes & Noble. So it's a, it would, we're happy to announce it was a Wall Street Journal bestseller and it's, it's back in the early early weeks. So we're pretty excited about that. So it's a, it's a fun thing. And I hope, um, love to get your comments on on, on it, uh, Adam, when, you're, when you get a chance to take a look at it. Absolutely. So, Bob Schlegel, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Thank you, Adam. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.